1: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus.
2: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. My name is Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice, and I am your new host for this show. Here on Spirit of Recovery, we talk about that place that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your journey. So this program is open to everyone, addicts, alcoholics, family members, loved ones, friends, co-workers, anyone whose life is touched by addiction. According to recent research, over 46% of the American public has a family member or friend that struggles with an addiction issue. And so addiction touches so many lives and we want to share the hope that is to be found in recovery. Our goal is to carry the message of spirituality and recovery to explore the many faces of spirituality through the experiences of and lessons learned by those who have taken this journey. And we hope that you will not only hear a few things you already know, but also get some new ideas and information, new perspectives, and perhaps some tips that you can put into practical use in your own journey. We know that you will deepen your spiritual walk as a result. So please tell your friends in your recovery circle about the show and invite them to join us online or by downloading the podcast later. There's over seven years of recovery-oriented radio shows online, and you can download them via Stitcher, iTunes, Alexa, or you can just listen on the web by searching for Spirit of Recovery. So we want to say thank you to everybody that's joining us today. And so the spiritual principle for the month of April is courage. And the title of today's broadcast is Drop the Rope, the Courage to Change. How do you know when you're done? When everyone around you still seems to be comfortable. What do you do when your childhood faith walk reinforces the shame and the guilt of a family mired in addiction? And what happens when you hit the end of your rope? Well, our guest today is going to share parts of her story when this happened in her life. She's a twenty-year veteran in healthcare and was ordained as a unity minister in nineteen ninety-four. And Besides being a minister, she served as a chaplain, as a guest speaker, workshop leader for business groups and for churches, and has actively pursued social justice issues, including partnerships with other churches to house the homeless and founding an interfaith network. So she's no stranger to using spiritual principles in order to support these practices. She's served as a host on Unity Online Radio in former years and has served in several local, regional, national positions in Unity Worldwide Ministries. Please help me welcome Reverend Karen Tudor. Welcome. Hey,
3: thank you so much, Lonnie. Thanks for inviting me today.
2: Well, we're thrilled to have you. You know, it's it's just amazing to me how we all have the same story. Addiction created problems in our lives. From whatever perspective, but the recovery journey is so different for each of us.
3: It truly is, and and um, it's it, it is always, um, you know, the, the the discovery and or the or the hitting that wall eventually of of getting to the truth that addiction is the problem, not you know not the escape from the problem or whatever we thought it was, but but truly is creating. The issues—it's so—it's um, so blindingly surprising. At the same time, it's actually the way through. It's actually the answer that we've been seeking all along, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Without that wall, I doubt that many of us would find recovery.
3: Right. Right. We because we thought that's our worldview was the the right the way that was the way the way everything really was, and we didn't know what the truth looked like. And in yeah. my life. The, the, the addiction part really showed up um, in my husband um, when I first, um, mar- you know, got ready to, um, we got ready, we met each other and we got ready to get married. And he was, um, you know, in that situation right then and told me he was going to quit and he was going to get straight now because he had me and he didn't need anything else. And so I believed him because I was raised in a way that um, Really predetermined, pre, you know, pre um, prepared me to actually be a good codependent at the time.
2: Yeah, our our um, histories, our family histories, and our enculturation both sets us up in many ways for that kind of a role. And um, we're just doing what we think we need to be doing, getting along in life as as best we can until that wall rises up right in front of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's true. So, can you share a little bit about your um, your young adulthood or your childhood, whatever you know your spiritual basis for um your life was at that point?
3: oh sure. Um well, I was raised Catholic, very, very Catholic <clears throat> um and um and went to Catholic school for um first eight years. and, um, and then um it, but it was remained a practicing Catholic, you know, really. Really tried hard to be um, in um, in accordance with the catholic teachings and and I really didn't explore anything else. I wasn't really interested in exploring anything. I thought as I've been told, this was the truth, <laughs> this is the way things were, this was the right way, everybody else was, you know, aberrant, everybody else was off the path, and I didn't, uh, and ca- Catholics didn't really have a strong need to proselytize, so I didn't have to go out and save any souls or anything, necessarily, unless it happened in my path or something. So, for me, it was not even a question, It it wasn't on the table, it was like Catholicism all the way, and... It really um, it seemed to serve me. It, it really gave me grounding and it gave me comfort in a lot of the ways. Um, and my um, in my family, my father was a p- active alcoholic um, and um, raged, um, uh, you know, occasionally, and uh, was really kind of absent, uh, even though he was physically living in the home, you know, just really emotionally absent. But I accepted that as, again, the way that things were and, you know, no big deal. It was just what I had to deal with. And I didn't like him and I didn't think he he did it right. So I got out of the house as soon as I could, about, you know, 18 or so. I got out of the house and got a, 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 an apartment with my girlfriend that we went and went to college with and just kind of got separated myself from the household as soon as I could But continued, you know, naturally practicing Catholicism because it was a comfort to me and it was what I knew. So um, I was just on my own path. I was on my own, creating my own life and was really, uh, I was an A student. I did everything right. I was successful at everything I did. So I didn't have any problems,
2: you know. So did you think that you had had left the problem behind when you left that um, family situation?
3: Absolutely. And um, what actually happened was that while I was still in college, like just really two years later, my father was diagnosed with cancer. Actually, um, actually, it was later in the year that I moved out, come to think of it, he was diagnosed and lived another 18 months or so. He had um, throat cancer and it was well advanced and inoperable. So it really, you know, within two years, he had passed and I, because of my anger and because I had, you know, really kind of separated myself from him long before then, I didn't perceive a, a grief in myself, in my, for myself and my relationship with him. But what I was aware of was that I was uh, very fused with my mother. Actually, I didn't know the word then, but <laughs> I was emotionally fused with my mother. My tears were all for her because she had lost her husband.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
3: um, that, I knew that was weird. I looked at it, you know, intellectually and I thought, well, this is a weird reaction, but I didn't know how else to process it because nothing else, quote unquote, made sense. And, um, and yet I felt a huge amount of loss and grief and pain that I couldn't, again, understand because I thought, well, he wasn't even really part of my life anymore. Why? Why am I feeling this? You know, I just was really very intellectually figuring out my life, and really not connected at all to my own emotions and my own emotional uh, understanding of things. And so, and I was 21, 20, 21 years old, so still young, and thought I thought I had the world by the tail, and I really didn't know very much at all, <laughs> as it turned out. <laughs>
2: So, you moved out, and um, your father passed, and you believed you had been emotionally disconnected from the situation found out that you weren 't was that your wall or or um, what did you, what happened after that uh,
3: oh, good point. Um, actually, I hit a point of of depression. I did go into what I think was probably a clinical depression. Um, I never sought any help for it. Uh, it didn't last. It didn't last v- more than a few weeks. It was like a few weeks long, it seems to me. And um, it was right around the time that I completed my schooling and I was getting my apartment and in my mind, launching my life. This is my life now. I'm going to go out there and do this. And suddenly, I things didn't come together in my apartment exactly the way I thought they should. And for some reason I started spiraling down and I went into a what I think is a clinical depression. I separated myself from isolated from family and friends. and I couldn't even play music that I loved. I could only play um, interestingly enough, classical music, which I didn't normally play, but it seemed like seemed soothing. And I got paints like from the dollar store or something, and I painted mostly black and brown things (laughs) and just a lot of um, just sort of expressive things that just kind of like let it out and I would just cry and cry and cry and um, I was just very confused by the whole thing and um, Mm. it was my mother that basically invited me out to dinner and just kind of tried to bring me out of the shell, so to speak, and I slowly edged my way back out and I suspect it was about some of the isolation and some of the um, unconscious therapy that I was doing for my art therapy that I was doing for myself and writing terribly sad poetry it's <laughs> just I just threw myself into a lot of expressions like that and um, probably just got along well enough to get out of that place and it really was 10 years later, Lonnie, before when I met um, who's the man who's my husband now, who was in an addiction, um, had been in addiction for over 10 years of his life already by then. And he, and that's when, as I said earlier, that um, he promised he was going to oh, give that all up. He wasn't going to need that anymore. And come to find out, of course, he wasn't able to do that. And uh, we we got married um, shortly after we'd met and um, he was um, um, uh, a nurse and he was working in an emergency room and he was taking drugs from the lockbox in the emergency room which of course contradicted all my values but I didn't know he was still using at that point he told me he wasn't and I didn't ask because I was a good codependent you know I knew I knew how Mm -hmm. to do that Mm -hmm. and he, he um, did turn himself into his head nurse which was great because they um, reported his license to the licensing bureau and he his license was probated then um, a probationary and he had to um, he had a really long haul of recovery to prove recovery and go through a, a process um, with peer a, peer a peer review and peer assistance program in texas which was in its infant stage and in that particular time, and um, was really helpful because um, it forced him to face it and to to walk the walk. And it took him a couple of years, really. Um, and he had to, at the mm-hmm. same time, seek a nursing position with a probated license and, you know, drug testing and everything else, even after he'd gotten sober. But what it did was it put me into recovery with him and i was in a program where i learned about addiction and what codependency really was and all of that and it burst my bubble of being the a student the perfect girl that has everything all figured out when i saw how little i understood about myself and how uh, what to do with my emotions and my feelings and and really started in my own point of recovery and I went directly into codependency work, and I think I spent two or three years ongoing deep work and family of origin work and all that, which truly changed my life. it just it- helped, and I grieved my father, you know the loss of my own relationship with him and and a lot of things that really set set me on a whole new path and um basically um challenged my Catholicism because I got to a point where I was seeing a therapist on Thursday to deal with my shame and guilt issues and then on Sunday getting re-upped in my shame and guilt issues, at least the way I was perceiving what I was hearing from the message of not being good enough and never getting it right and always being sinful, and I just couldn't, I couldn't reconcile those, and so I had to put the Catholic Church up on a shelf, and a friend of mine uh, from 12-step told me about unity and said how unity. She said, um, she said unity is a great place that that holds the same principles. I don't know how exactly she said it. Is very consistent with the principles of twelve step. That's how she said it to me. And I had been in twelve step. Um, uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics was the program that really worked best for me, and where I really to this day can walk into any room anywhere and i feel like i've got brothers and sisters. in fact i feel like there's a a hearth somewhere in the room. i feel like we're all sitting around a fire and we're in our a stocking seat and we're all, you know, lounging around on the on the couches and chairs and stuff and we're we're sharing and it just it i've always felt that deep connection in 12 step and so it was valuable to me to know there was a church that would support this new path that i was on and i found unity of houston. Um, at that time, and it's my home church.
2: Mm -hmm. So that 10 years between you moving out and your father passing, and then when you got married, were you involved with um, the the church at that point? Did that continue to support you in some way during that time frame? It
3: did. It did, because I really didn't know better. Um, You know, and, well, well, I would say that, um, you know, I was coping with things as best as I ever had. And, um, um, I, you know, I would say that pretty much it, my, my life kind of got back to what it had been after my depression, after that depressive episode. And I think I had maybe let out enough grief in some way, that it allowed mm-hmm. me to just kind of, you know, carry on. But mm-hmm. I was really in a stuck place you know, seeing myself now, I realize I was just in a stuck place only because I didn't know any better. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't have anything to compare it to, you know. Mm-hmm. I looked successful on the outside.
2: Yeah, I remember getting to that place, um, for different reasons, but where, you know, you have the house, the car, the relationship, you have all of this stuff. And right. and I was going, Is that all there is? Is this it? Yeah.
3: <laughs> and I'm already here. So what do I do yeah. for the next sixty years of my life, right?
2: Exactly. <laughs> So when you when you found yourself in um, a recovery program because of your husband, how did you make it your own? You know, one of the things that codependents do is focus on the other person, on the person with the substance abuse problem. And um, sometimes it's a challenge to get turned around to look at ourselves.
3: I have a, a great story to tell you. Um, the very first time, uh, because, uh, so I told you that my husband turned himself into the head nurse. The recovery program, um, was, um, involved 12 step, uh, you know um commitment as well but the real recovery program was an 18 week p- family program for the chemical dependent and for the codependents who were willing to go through it and the hospital happened to offer it to to their uh, employees i think for free or for their insurance or i'm not sure exactly what the program was and so i was invited in and i was like Absolutely. I am totally showing up with a blank sheet of paper and a sharp pencil to learn how I can keep my husband sober. I mean, yes, that's what I was wanting all along, and I didn't even know how to ask for it. So I was signed on. And we sat around um, very early in after I, we'd done intake, and we were sitting here in our, one of our first sessions, and we were paired up in couples, codependent and chemical dependents, in a circle with the therapist. And there was a new therapist who I had just introduced to that evening. And so we went around, and um, she asked him, um, you know, how are you feeling or what's going on? And we came to me and she, and she asked me, she goes, well, Karen, so how are you feeling tonight after all the, you know, things that have been going on in your life? And she named whatever was current. And I just smiled patronizingly at her. And I said, well, I said, I'm the codependent. He's the chemical dependent. Ask him how he feels. (laughs) And I am certain they wished they had that on film because that would have been the perfect you know, teaching tool to show people the difference. This is this is a codependent in the wild right there, just has no <laughs> clue whatsoever what, what she's doing. And I seriously, I had just learned what, a, I didn't even understand what a codependent was. It was like an intellectual concept I had to get. I was like, oh, because I'm in relationship with them, I'm codependent. Oh, okay. All right. Whatever that means. So I didn't even, and they had to put, Um, feelings on the board for me to choose from. And I tell you what, I stressed out because as an A student, I wanted to give them the correct answer, and I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And it was bewildering and upsetting, and and, um, it started me in my whole journey. So when I realized that I had a missing piece here, that something I didn't even know, um, it was like the thing from my depression had been, that uh, what was keeping me in my depression was this idea that that this feeling this terrible, broken, painful feeling that I had of of hopelessness and despair in, in my depression was actually the truth of me, and that all those years I'd spent up on the surface in the daylight and and running around being happy was that was the superficial untruth, and that this was always going to be true about me, that I could never escape it, that I couldn't be fixed. And that was a really deep fear and a deep realization. And it was sort of like when 10 years later, when I'm now in these group therapy, here's my opportunity to repair something that I didn't even know was broken. And it was like I was all into it. So I almost immediately adapted to, if there's something wrong with me, oh, my gosh, I'm on it, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a perfectionist, or I'm going to, you know, f- scratch my chest open and find the hole or, or find the, the missing piece or something. It's I'm going to figure this out. So I was definitely devoted to my own path, and it was easier for me to let go of my husband then. And we hadn't been in relationship Mm-hmm, six months, maybe. So it was mm-hmm. not a longstanding relationship that we had years of recovery in our relationship to overcome. It was all about my or, ch- childhood and, and family of origin and worldview that was really on the table for me anyway. So it was all about me, so to speak. So it was easy for me to devote my time to my mm-hmm. own recovery.
2: So when you first got into the 12-step programs or the recovery programs, what were some of the ideas that really struck you, that really gelled for you? What did you learn about yourself?
3: Yeah. um, You know what was the most important and liberating? And and let me also say that I did 12-step in conjunction With therapy. Either it was group therapy or it was one on one therapy at different stages. But all of my early recovery for at least three or four years was paired up with um, paid friends, paid counselors, you know, that I, therapists that I worked with. And I tell you, it just made such, I met such huge developments that way. But what I learned in 12 Step was that the Holy Spirit was really present in the room. And it was the only explanation I could, I could make from my Catholic background that I have to say I didn't always feel in the Catholic Church and I didn't always feel it in Mass on Sunday either, but I almost always felt it and increasingly as, as my recovery progressed in 12 step rooms where I could feel the flow of spirit or I could feel the vibration or I felt the chill or I could feel the resonance of some truth that would hit me right in the heart that I just knew was true. And in some way I felt like I always known it was true, but I didn't know it. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. So you, you that sounds like a pivotal point where you switched from an intellectual understanding to a knowing.
3: Exactly. Right. And that, um, and that I could, it, it, it gave me the tools and the uh, encouragement to start to trust my own heart on things, to trust my own judgment, that I didn't have to run after and get somebody who knew more than me to tell me. You know, the Catholic Church had taught me who Jesus was, had taught me about God, had taught me the way things were, heaven and hell, and all that stuff, and I was just supposed to put my faith in I was just supposed to believe it. And. I was, and I was trained in my, in my education. Um, I was a medical technologist and I worked in a hospital. So science and math and all of that's pretty, you put your hands on it. It's tangible. It adds up. You know, it, it, um, you know, you can, you can prove it or disprove it. You know, there was all of that kind of tangible thing. So there was all of this wisdom and, and knowledge that was external to me that I had to learn How to do and take it in but I had never really been trained to trust my own judgment or to trust my heart or to trust myself and it was in therapy that I learned that I could take what I like and leave the rest that I could try something on and I could go with my own intuition about things or my own sense of them or my feeling and that was life-changing for me and and I heard that reiterated in the Unity Church. I, I think one of the first few Sundays I heard Reverend Howard S- Caesar speak, he even said that, you know, something about you You don't have to believe everything you hear, but you can try it on, take what you like, and set the others aside. And I just, I thought I was just in love because I said that's exactly what I'm doing, and, and it's okay, and, you know, somebody else thinks that too, and I'm not going to, you know, fly into destruction or go to hell or whatever I'm I'm okay to, to try my hand at my own life and make my own choices and it was really um, hugely freeing and um, giddily exciting um, new way of living and and just reaffirming everything it and, and truly I would not be a minister today if I had not gone through that recovery experience I, it wouldn't even well, obviously, I wouldn't have had a reason to leave the Catholic Church as far as I can imagine. Um, mm-hmm. perhaps something else would have thrown me you know into another another fork in the road, so to speak but uh, but I know that that transformation that happened deep inside of me is the only way I became a unity minister
2: well, and they call those spiritual experiences. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in the, in the 12-step programs. And yes. that's what everybody hopes and wants and prays for and works toward. And yet it seems to elude some people. And you had a very deep, effective one, it sounds like, pretty early on. Um, were there any tools in particular that you used um, that, that helped you, you know, when you had that awakening?
3: Well, as I said, you know, we... Um, when I would go to twelve-step meetings, um, I had my favorite meeting on Friday night, and it was um, a lot of uh, people that I uh, at, at the Adult Children of Alcoholics meeting, and we would go out to you know um, Cafe Express afterwards and have coffee and, and talk and continue to talk about our spiritual lives, et, et cetera. And what I found was that um, that the people who were doing twelve-step Um, only or therapy only and 12-step every now and then seemed to be going what I considered or what seemed to me like a slower pace in a way, whereas two or three other people who were on the same path that I was where I was doing deep therapy at the same time with doing 12-step, we just seemed to make. Huge steps and leaps sooner or faster. Now, one could also argue maybe it was also what our souls are here to do, and we needed an accelerated program to get someplace quicker. You, you know how, how it is? That I don't know that it's not all apples to apples, you know? We're, we're, we all have different paths and and yes, it's certainly informed by our choices um, and our experiences, of course, but it's also what we've brought in and what we're, I believe, what we're here to express. And some of us need different pathways to get there, right? So mm-hmm. I really feel that um, for me, being able to do the therapy in conjunction with the 12-step just deepened both. You know, mm-hmm. it gave me a spiritual context. It gave me family around me, a new chosen family, as we say in 12-step circles, our our family of choice, and gave me reflections of more positive models than I had in my life or even among my friends uh, previous to that. So it just gave me a whole new community that could uh, reflect back what they were seeing in me and that I could start to believe was true about me.
2: Okay. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that. We're going to take a short break now, and when we come back, we'll start with a serenity minute, focusing on a positive thought, and then we'll continue our conversation talking about this idea that you just um, left off with, which is kind of healing in community.
3: hmm
0: 72727. Thank you for your support.
1: Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ram Desh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
1: Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888 55 Unity. That's 888 558 6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at spiritofrecoveryunityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program.
2: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're happy that you're with us today, and if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm your new host for this show. So our topic today was Drop the Rope, the Courage to Change with Reverend Karen Tudor. Before we continue our conversation, we're going to um, take a minute to center ourselves in peace of mind in a serenity minute. We just take a moment to relax and focus on a constructive thought and just to let ourselves be refreshed by the Spirit. So, right now, I invite you to join me in focusing on this constructive idea as we relax, breathe deeply, and allow ourselves to be open and refreshed. The idea for today is I step forward in courage, and my life is blessed. I step forward in courage, and my life is blessed. So thank you for joining me with this serenity moment. And so resuming our conversation and carrying before the break, we were talking about a chosen family of 12-step and therapy people and basically healing in community,
3: You know, I really um, I loved those rooms. Um, whether it was the familiar locations or whether it was a new location, um, I loved the runes of of finding new brothers and sisters who were. I mean, in, almost instantly, we were in harmony and we were on the same page. And you know. Even even when, um, you know, in in the uh, adult children of alcoholics where it gives the list of symptoms, so to speak, or the, 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 the qualities that we all experienced um, when we were um, in addiction or in addiction um, households or whatever, and the patterns of behavior that we found in ourselves. And the interesting things about those to me was that they would be listed, and I wouldn't have that one, but I had its opposite you know I didn't act that way I acted the exact opposite way and I began to realize that that in itself was the same thing it was coming out of the same rigid behaviors that um, codependence where I actually all people in an addictive system find themselves in they there's a rigidity and a in a way of being that just becomes cyclical and it cycles with the addiction and whether we're the chemical dependent or whether we're the codependent, and and it robs us of freedom, and it robs us of our individual uniqueness, you know. And those were some of my early losses in understanding that. And I processed them in those safe places where I could meet with other people who were also in recovery and learn that their discoveries and their insights and the wisdom that they were living with today, and. It was always so encouraging, and to have such receptivity to my own process and willingness for people to hear what was going on for me, it was, um, it was very, very powerful. It was a great crucible for transformation and for change and for healing.
2: I found those safe places to be uh, amazing as well, and if for no other reason than people just got me. You know, um, Mm -hmm. it didn't require a lot of words. Sometimes a few words and somebody that had been exactly the same place as I had been knew exactly what I was feeling. They may not have had the exact same experience, but they had felt the same way. And I think um, in the in the recovery literature, it's referenced as the language of the heart. There's a communication that exists.
3: Yeah. You know, I think I think you're so right. Um, I'm reminded you know, um another example of what I referred to earlier as the you know the the presence of the Holy Spirit being in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget you know one time um, one time in particular, and I was in ministerial school at the time because I was going back and forth still so um i I was uh, my my meetings were in Houston, but i my Training was in Kansas City, but on Thursday afternoons I would fly back. So Friday night meetings I still went to as much as I could, and so um, I was in, in ministerial training at the time, and so um, I think I was unconsciously using the sharing as an opportunity to try out an idea for how I could how I could speak to some principles or some ideals that I was working on in my life, which was part of my was part of my process, of course, in my recovery, but it was also a good practice for, for, for trying out how some, some explanation sounded out loud in front of an audience. I don't know. Uh-huh. If that's, is that is that a fair way to I mean, I don't, I don't know if I um, if I hijacked you know, the conversation or not, but but it was sort of like a dual purpose. So I found myself thinking about, oh, I think I'll talk about this tonight. Oh, I think I'll share this. So it was all about, oh, here's an insight I had this week. So I was going to share an insight, something amazing and positive that I was going to lay on this group. And um, of course, you can tell my ego was deeply engaged at that moment. And somebody new had come in, didn't know how 12-step worked, kept raising their hand or, or inter, you know, interjecting or speaking at the wrong time. And I just found myself, you know, just really impatient. Somebody needs to take that person outside and explain <laughs> to them how this works. And, you know, this they're, they're interrupting the flow. And we can't get to the time where I can share and all this kind of, you know, petty thinking. I'm so proud of myself thinking of that even thinking about that now. And when the time came for the sharing to start, and she raised her hand, and I don't know to this day what she said, but what she said hit me like a thunderbolt, and it brought me to my knees. And you know what? I had nothing to share. (laughs) I mean, what she walked in with, whatever it was that she shared from her, uh, place was the holy spirit speaking directly from her to me and i will never forget that i will never forget the effect it had and the value of the power of those meetings that what happens in those meetings is really divine divinely guided and once the meeting is over people retain their humanity and their personality and their ego and you no know, it it's a, you know you got to you got to see things as see things clearly and not idealize people but but in the meeting while it's happening um, there's something very real and something powerful and truthful that's happening and that really taught me that, that somebody could walk in off the street and be used like that and speak from their truth
2: mm-hmm. So you had, you, you kind of jumped into seminary. Were you still attending the uh, Catholic Church at that point? That sounds like a crucial, pivotal point in having to make some decisions.
3: Oh, thanks. Thank you for that. Actually, that happened um, after my, I think I shared when I was somewhere in, I'm going to say maybe a year into my recovery. And um some people had you know in in 12step had told me about you know unity or that's where they went and I just kind of batted it away and I thought oh that's I have a church you know I'm I'm Catholic The I wasn't looking I wasn't looking for anything but it was when I got into deeper deeper level work that um, of personal development and therapy that I really needed that reframe I needed another context I needed a different, Teaching or philosophy that was going to be consistent with what I was trying to accomplish in therapy and what I was hearing in in twelve step and in, in some ways and so then I was more open. Then I said, "What was the name of that church you said you went to?" And so that's when I went into Unity and and Lonnie. The first time I walked in, I really I was scared, but it really resonated with me and it it felt attractive. And so I that was in June of nineteen. 19- Um, 86 87 1987 and the reason I remember is because I was also lector, commentator and Eucharistic minister in the Catholic Church you can't tell I was trying to be a priest could you? (laughs) Um, you know, trying to do everything I could do but give give the sermon and so um, I was still signed up to do that in my Catholic Church and so any Sunday I wasn't assigned, I went to Unity And then I would return to the Catholic Church on the, you know, to fulfill whatever assignments I had signed up for. And I did that for about three or four months, all summer long. And then I just asked myself, which do I miss most when I'm not there? And I had to say that deep down I missed being at Unity, but I never missed being in the Catholic Church. In other words, I didn't miss it when I was at Unity. And so I decided at that juncture at the end of the summer to just not sign up for any more assignments in the Catholic Church and just go to unity. And and this was my thought, because I'd been raised Catholic, my whole family was Catholic, I actually felt more culturally Catholic than German and Czech, which is what I am, and you know, I could, I could, all, I could speak more Latin than I can speak Czech or German. So um, I really felt culturally connected to it. So it didn't occur to me that I could actually just leave the Catholic Church, and I also didn't know how far this unity thing would run with me. I didn't know if it was a temporary thing. So I, in my mind, I put the Catholic Church up on a shelf. And I thought, I can always take it back down, I can always go back, I can go to confession and confess that I missed X number of Sundays, or I don't know, whatever else I would have to do to reinstate myself, so to speak. But I basically put it on on the shelf, and just to see how long this unity thing would sustain me. And um, to my knowledge, the Catholic Church is still up on the shelf.
2: I was going to say, you're I, still there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I, I, I do go to, you know, when, when when the occasion arises, and like I like to go to Catholic retreat centers, and if they offer Mass, I will go to Mass, and I'll even receive communion, because in my heart, I know that I'm I'm good with God, you know? I'm in good with Jesus, and I don't worry about there being any kind of a conflict, and I don't do it to be disrespectful to the, the understandings that other people have, but I feel that that's my... Um, it's my relationship with God, and I'm comfortable with it. And it's it's a sweet thing to, to be able to take communion, so I do that. Um, and I just have a different reverence and understanding of the Catholic Church now, and its limitations for me. I feel like I have grown out of the Catholic Church, and I take the mystical part of it with me into unity. So I don't ever feel like... I left it, like slammed the door on it. I know some people call themselves recovering Catholics and people who are, you know, kind of left it angry. I never really had that experience. I just felt like it no longer, it no longer supported the person I was becoming. And so I brought the best, the deepest tradition, the deepest mysticism that I felt in there. I brought it into unity. And I I still speak from that, I think.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the topic we're, we've been talking around is courage. You know, that's one mm-hmm. of the spiritual principles in the 12 steps. And it, it strikes me that it's really kind of courageous to walk out of one church and into another when it's been a faith tradition in your family for years and years, um, you know, to launch off into, into unknown territory. So I'm, I'm really um, thrilled to hear how you've been able to bring that together because so many people struggle with that.
3: Yes, and I, um, it was, because I I, I don't know how to, to, what I know for me is this, I, I have a lot of, personally, I have a lot of courage when I can see clearly. Does that make sense? When I feel that I can see clearly what my choice is, then I can lean into it and I have courage to be able to do those things. And I think, too, that because ministry, unity ministry was, oh, I should also, I don't know if this is the right place to put this, but consider this. When I was a little girl growing up in the Catholic Church, I walked around when I was seven years old telling everybody I was going to be a priest when I grew up. And everybody would laugh, and they'd pat me on the head, and they would tell me, little girls don't grow up to be priests. They grow up to be nuns. And I said, well... I saw what the nuns did because they taught me in school and I saw what the priest did and I wanted his job. I basically thought he was he definitely had the better he had the better deal. And I told people that I could picture myself being that and um, I got tired of people laughing at me and I remember at some point I decided to stop talking about it and stop saying it out loud and I just thought to myself I had seen so many changes in the Catholic Church in my short life then, because that was after John the Twenty Third and all the changes in the '60s, and that was all during my time in, in in grade school, and so I had seen so many changes from Latin to English and the altar turning around and vestments changing and and um, you know altar boys and altar girls and all actually altar girls didn't happen then that's another that's one of my resentments of the Catholic Church I couldn't be an <laughs> altar boy but, <laughs> but that's a different story but um but I'd seen a lot of changes so I just comforted myself with this thought, I thought to myself, they don't let women be priests now, but when I grow up, they will. And I just comforted myself with that belief. And I felt 20 years from now, surely women will be priests. And I didn't think about it anymore. And I really forgot about it until I was called into unity ministry. And I was in the peace chapel. And I was you know, on my way to getting prepared to enter into ministerial school or to apply for ministerial school. And I was sitting there and I was just in deep prayer, just amazed at this calling, all the things that I was going to have to do to change my life. Um, I had small children and I was married and how would I relocate? And I mean, just I had a thousand questions and I wanted them all answered right then. And instead in my meditation, I got this voice that said, um, I have been waiting for you a long time. And I suddenly was drawn all the way back to being seven years old with two ponytails and red tennis shoes and walking around telling everybody I was going to be a priest when I grew up. And I suddenly realized it had always been in me. And Mm -hmm. this was the, this was the answer. This was, this was what I had been waiting for. And, um, it was overwhelming, and I think it explains a lot, I think, about why my own genesis, at least this is how I interpret it, my own genesis was so quick and so dramatic because I had <clears throat> a lot of things to get done in order to get into ministerial school and, and to um, my life just needed to get on track faster, I think, than... Um, mm-hmm than someone else's may have been. And so I see all of it as being instrumental only in retrospect, of course, needing, needing that then. And my perfect partner is my husband who's been sober, um, since October of 1985. And my daughters have never known him to use or to be under the influence at all. And, you know, there's no, no guarantees in the program as we well know, but, um, I could not have been blessed with a better partner um, along my path and supporting me as a minister.
2: So you got in alignment. It sounds like mm-hmm. everything started lining up in your life, and you yeah. you, which does not mean that everything works perfect, but just no. you know <laughs> our, our calling and our life skills and our our um, activities and our you know. Avocation and our vocation—it all comes into alignment when we find right. our own path. So, switching just a tiny bit, um, how does courage show up for you today? I, I notice in your resume that you talk about um, doing interfaith work and doing work with the homeless and things like that. How how did that come about?
3: Well. Um once again you know when when i have an idea or an idea comes and it and i feel the passion of it you know in my heart and i can feel that you know recovery has really just i mean i've continued to be dedicated to my own personal development my own continued recovery my own continued spiritual growth it's really been super important and t- and truth telling and telling myself the truth and being willing to to be in that and that takes daily courage doesn't it you know to um to be willing to be wrong or to be willing mm-hmm. to be willing to see that um maybe you don't know what you thought you knew or maybe maybe what you um you know planted your flag in is really not the only way it can look or not not a way that's going to sustain and you're going to have to change change again and you're going to have to do it out loud in front of people and you're going to have to tell your family and you're going to have to do this. And, and it's like, it's just, you know, but if you're, if you're dedicated to the truth, the capital T truth to, to what is really true, what is real, what is, what is lasting, what is going to sustain me? uh, Where's the love? Where's the peace? Then those are the things I'm dedicated to. And I, can more easily, as time goes on, let go of the way I thought it was, or the way I, the, the way I pronounced, or the what I even taught other people. Maybe is that I could go back and make amends because I learned about that in 12-step, and the power mm-hmm. of that, and the ability to, to move through. So I would say that those are the things; those tools um, continue to be useful. Um, no matter what context and no matter what situations we apply them to.
2: I think you're right it, that the daily walk of recovery and continuing to stay the course and stay the path and alter the course when we're called to do so is an expression of courage. So, are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share? We've got about, I don't know, a couple minutes left. Um, anything that you'd like to maybe wrap up with?
3: Um, you know, the the Serenity Prayer <clears throat> continues to be such a powerful, um, such a powerful tool. And and um, and the other thing that I continue to just fall in love with is the Twelve Promises, you know, of recovery. And I was just looking at them the other day, thinking um, how blessed I feel that I have literally experienced all twelve of them at various times in my life. I, I can't say I'm always there all the time, um, but I certainly know. I know those feelings. I know those truths, and I know how far away I felt from them when I read them for the first time. How mm-hmm. far away and how un Believable, they actually seemed that you you could ever claim those places, and now with recovery, um, I know what they're talking about. I know those things, and I feel um, immeasurably blessed by them. And I love to. Um, in fact, I plan to do a, a talk series about them sometime because <laughs> they are so powerful and such beautiful. Visions of hope for all of us. Um, they are, they are possible and they're tangible. And the only reason they're written is because people have experienced them by from their own life experience and left them for us to
2: follow. Thank you for those reminders. Uh, that's that's an excellent place to stop. And I really appreciate you spending time with us today to to share a lot of very deep and very personal. Um, um, feelings and and thoughts with us, and and basically sharing of yourself and of your heart. And it's through this language of the heart that others find hope. And so there is, as we know, life after addiction, whether it's our own or that of our loved ones, and and when we fall into this path and we get in alignment, then our spirituality and our recovery line up. So thank you for sharing the difference that that's made in your life.
3: And. Thank you for having me today, Lonnie. I really appreciate
2: sharing the story. Well, we appreciate that. So thank you. And listeners, remember to connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and share any thoughts or comments or feedbacks that you might have. And we invite you to join us next Tuesday when our guest is Barry V. So thank you again for listening and for being a part of Spirit of Recovery. And have a blessed week.
4: Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you, who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.